Yet another in the unfolding series of Paul Hecht's tributes to women who commit suicide. <laughs> Tonight, I'm Sexton. Tonight, we're celebrating what would have been the 83rd birthday of Anne Sexton. Voila. Young. A thousand doors ago, when I was a lonely kid, and it was summer as long as I could remember, I lay on the lawn at night, clover wrinkling over me, the wise stars bedding over me, my mother's window a funnel of yellow heat running out, my father's window half shut, and I, where sleepers pass, and the boards of the house were smooth and white as wax, and probably a million leaves sailed on their strange stalks as the crickets ticked together, and I, in my brand new body, which was not a woman's yet, told the stars my questions and thought God could really see the heat and the painted light, elbows, knees, Dreams. Good night. Rowie. A story. A story. Let it go. Let it come. I was stamped out like a Plymouth fender into this world. First came the crib with its glacial bars, then dolls and the devotion to their plastic mouths. Then there was school, the little rows of chairs, botting my name over and over, but under sea all the time, a stranger whose elbows wouldn't work. Then there was life, with its cruel houses and people who seldom touched, though touch is all, but I grew. Like a pig in a trench coat, I grew. (laughs) And then there were many strange apparitions. The nagging rain. The sun turning into poison. And all of that. Saws working through my heart. But I grew. I grew. And God was there. Like an island I had not rowed to. Still ignorant of him, my arms and my legs worked, and I grew, I grew, I wore rubies, and bought tomatoes, and now, in my middle age, about 19 in the head, I'd say, I am rowing, though the oarlocks stick and are rusty, and the sea blinks and rolls like a worried eyeball. But I am rowing. I am rowing, though the wind pushes me back, and I know that that island will not be perfect. It will have the flaws of life, the absurdities of the dinner table. But there will be a door, and I will open it, and I will get rid of the rat inside me, the gnawing, pestilential rat. God will take it with his two hands and embrace it. As the African says, this is my tale which I have told. If it be sweet, if it be not sweet, take somewhere else and let some return to me. This story ends with me still Snow. Snow. Blessed snow. Comes out of the sky like bleached flies. The ground is no longer naked. The ground has on its clothes. The trees poke out of sheets, and each branch wears the sock of God. (laughs) There is hope. Hope everywhere. I bite it. Someone once said, 
Don't bite till you know if it's bread or stone. What I bite is all bread, rising, yeasty as a cloud. There is hope. There is hope everywhere. Today, God gives milk, and I have the pail. Long Island Sound. I am surprised to see that the ocean is still going on. Now I am going back and I have ripped my hand from your hand as I said I would and I have made it this far as I said I would and I'm on the top deck now holding my wallet, my cigarettes and my car keys at two o'clock on a Tuesday in August of 1960. Dearest, although everything has happened, nothing has happened. The sea is very old. The sea is the face of Mary without miracles or rage or unusual hope, grown rough and wrinkled with incurable age. Still, I have eyes. These are my eyes. The orange letters that spell Orient on the life preserver that hangs by my knees. The cement lifeboat that wears its dirty canvas coat. The faded sign that sits on its shelf saying, Keep off. Oh, all right, I say, I'll save myself. Over my right shoulder, I see four nuns who sit like a bridge club. <laughs> their faces poked out from under their habits as good as good babies who have sunk into their carriages. Without discrimination, the wind pulls the skirts of their arms. Almost undressed, I see what remains. The holy wrist, that ankle, that chain. Oh, God, although I am very sad, could you please let these four nuns loosen from their leather boots and their wooden chairs to rise out over this greasy deck, out over this iron rail, nodding their pink heads to one side, flying four abreast in the old-fashioned side stroke. <laughs> each mouth open and round, breathing together as fish do, singing without sound. Dearest, see how my dark girls sally forth over the passing lighthouse of plum gut, its shell as rusty as a camp dish, as fragile as a pagoda on a stone, out over the little lighthouse that warns me of drowning winds that rub over its blind bottom and its blue cover, winds that will take the toes and the ears of the rider or the lover. There go my dark girls. Their dresses puff in the leeward air. They are lighter than flying dogs or the breath of dolphins. <laughs> Each mouth opens gratefully, wider than a milk cup. My dark girls sing for this. They are going up. See them rise on black wings, drinking the sky without smiles or hands or shoes. They call back to us from the gauzy edge of paradise. Good news. <laughs> 
Good news. A story for Rose on the midnight flight to Boston. Until tonight, they were separate specialties. Different stories. The best of their own worst. Riding my warm cabin home, I remember Betsy's laughter. She laughed as you did, Rose, at the first story. Someday, I promised her, I'll be someone going somewhere. And we plotted it in the humdrum school for proper girls. The next April, the plane bucked me like a horse. My elevators turned and fear blew down my throat, that last profane gauge of a stomach coming up, and then returned to land, as unlovely as any seasick sailor, sincerely 18. My first story, my first failure. Maybe, Rose, there is always another story, better unsaid, grim, or flat, or predatory. Half a mile down, the lights of the in-between cities turn up their eyes at me. And I remember Betsy's story. The April night of the civilian air crash and her sudden name misspelled in the evening paper. The interior of shock and the paper gone in the trash ten years now. She used the return ticket I gave her. This was the rude kill of her. Two planes cracking in midair over Washington like blind birds. And the picking up afterwards, the morticians tracking bodies in the Potomac and piecing them like boards to make a leg or a face. There is only her miniature photograph left. Too long now for fear to remember. Special tonight. Because I made her into a story that I grew to know and savor. A reason to worry, Rose, when you fix an old death like that and outliving the impact to find you pretended we bank over Boston. I am safe. I put on my hat. I am almost someone going home. The story has ended. Unknown girl in a maternity ward. Child, the current of your breath is six days long. You lie a small knuckle on my white bed, lie fisted like a snail, so small and strong at my breast. Your lips are animals. You are fed with love. At first, hunger is not wrong. The nurses nod their caps. You are shepherded down starch halls with the other unnested throng in wheeling baskets. You tip like a cup, your head moving to my touch. You sense the way we belong. But this is an institution bed. You will not know me very long. The doctors are enamel. They want to know the facts. They guess about the man who left me. Some pendulum soul going the way men go and leave you full of child. But our case history stays blank. All I did was let you grow. Now we are here for all the ward to see. They thought I was strange, although I never spoke a word. I burst empty of you, letting you learn how the air is so. The doctors chart the riddle they ask of me, and I turn my head away. I do not know. Yours is the only face I recognize. 
bone at my bone, you drink my answers in. Six times a day I prize your need. The animals of your lips, your skin growing warm and plump. I see your eyes lifting their tents. They are blue stones. They begin to outgrow their moss. You blink in surprise, and I wonder what you can see, my funny kin, as you trouble my silence. I am a shelter of lies. Should I learn to speak again, or hopeless in such sanity, will I touch some face I recognize? Down the hall, the baskets start back. My arms fit you like a sleeve. They hold catkins of your willows, the wild bee farms of your nerves, each muscle and fold of your first days. Your old man's face disarms the nurses, but the doctors return to scold me. I speak. It is you, my silence harms. I should have known. I should have told them something to write down. My voice alarms my throat. Name of father, none. I hold you and name you bastard in my arms. Mm. And now that's that. There's nothing more that I can say or lose. Others have traded life before and could not speak. I tighten to refuse your owling eyes, my fragile visitor. I touch your cheeks like flowers. You bruise against me. We unlearn. I am ashore rocking off you. You break from me. I choose your only way, my small inheritor, and hand you off, trembling the selves we lose. Go, child, who is my sin and nothing more. The invisible beetles began to snore, and the grass was as tough as hemp and was no color, no more than the sand was a color, and we had worn our bare feet bare since the 20th of June, and there were times we forgot to wind up your alarm clock, and some nights we took our gin, warm and neat, from old jelly glasses while the sun blew out of sight like a red picture hat, and one day I tied my hair back with a ribbon, and you said that I looked almost like a Puritan lady. And what I remember best is that the door to your room was the door to mine. Song for a Lady. On the day of breasts and small hips, the window popped with bad rain, rain coming on like a minister. We coupled so sane and insane. We lay like spoons while the sinister rain dropped like flies on our lips and our glad eyes and our small hips. The room is so cold with rain, you said. And you, feminine you, with your flower, said novenas to my ankles and elbows. You are a national product and power Oh, my swan, my drudge, my dear woolly rose. 
Even a notary would notarize our bed. As you need me, and I rise like bread. Wow. <laughs> the nude swim. <laughs> On the southwest side of Capri, we found a little unknown grotto where no people were, and we entered it completely and let our bodies lose all their loneliness. All the fish in us had escaped for a minute. The real fish did not mind. We did not disturb their personal life. We calmly trailed over them and under them, shedding air bubbles, little white balloons that drifted up into the sun by the boat where the Italian boatman slept with his hat over his face. Water so clear you could read a book through it. Water so buoyant you could float on your elbow. I lay on it as on a divan. I lay on it just like Matisse's red odalisk. Water was my strange flower. One must picture a woman without a toga or a scarf on a couch as deep as a tomb. The walls of that grotto were every color blue, and you said, look, your eyes are sea color. Look, your eyes are sky color. And my eyes shut down as if they were suddenly ashamed. Me. Being kissed on the back of the knee is a moth at the window screen, and yes, my darling, a dot on the fathometer is Tinkerbell with her cough. And twice I will give up my honor, and stars will stick like tacks in the night. Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Two little snails at the back of the knee building bonfires, something like eyelashes, something too zippo striking. Yes, 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 small and me, maker. <laughs> the gulls striking the top of the sky and riding the blown roller coaster. Up there, godding the whole blue world and shrieking at a snip of land. Now, like children, we climb down humps of rock with a bag of dinner rolls <laughs> left over and spread them gently on a stone, leaving six crusts for an early king. A single watcher comes hawking in, rides the current round its hunger, and hangs carved in silk until it throbs up suddenly out and one inch over water to come again, smoothing over the slack tide, to come, bringing its flock like a city of wings that fall from the air. They wait each like a wooden decoy, or soft like a pigeon, or a sweet, snug duck, until one moves, moves that dark beak breaking over. It has the bread. The world is full of them, a world of beasts thrusting for one rock, just four scoop out the bread and go swinging over Gloucester to the top of the sky. <gasps> See how they cushion their fishy bellies with a brother's crumb. <laughs> the gold key 
The speaker in this case is a middle-aged witch. Me. <laughs> Tangled on my two great arms, my face in a book and my mouth wide, ready to tell you a story or two. I have come to remind you, all of you, Alice, Samuel, Kurt, Eleanor, Jane, Brian, Marielle, all of you, draw near. Alice, at 56, do you remember? Do you remember when you were read to as a child? Samuel, at 22, have you forgotten? Forgotten the 10 p.m. dreams where the wicked king went up in smoke? Are you comatose? Are you under sea? Attention, my dears. Let me present to you this boy. He is 16, and he wants some answers. He is each of us. I mean you. I mean me. It is not enough to read Hesse and drink clam chowder. We must have the answers. The boy has found a gold key, and he is looking for what it will open. This boy. Upon finding a string, he would look for a harp. Therefore, he holds the key tightly. Its secrets whimper like a dog in heat. He turns the key. Presto. It opens this book of odd tales, which transform the brothers grim. Transform? As if an enlarged paper clip could be a piece of sculpture, and it could. Some foreign letters. I knew you forever, and you were always old. <laughs> Soft white lady of my heart. Surely you would scold me for sitting up late reading your letters as if these foreign postmarks were meant for me. You posted them first in London, wearing furs and a new dress in the winter of 1890. I read how London is dull on Lord Mayor's Day, where you guided past groups of robbers, the sad holes of Whitechapel clutching your pocketbook on the way to Jack the Ripper dissecting his famous bones. This Wednesday, in Berlin, you say, you will go to a bazaar at Bismarck's house. And I see you as a young girl in a good world still writing three generations before mine. I try to reach into your page and breathe it back. But life is a trick. Life is a kitten in a sack. This is the sack of time your death vacates. How distant you are on your nickel-plated skates in the skating park in Berlin, gliding past me with your count while a military band plays a Strauss waltz. I loved you last, a pleated old lady with a crooked hand. Once you read Lohengrin, and every goose hung high while you practiced castle life in Hanover. Tonight your letters reduce history to a guess. The Count had a wife. You were the old maid aunt who lived with us. Tonight, I read how the winter howled around the towers of Schloss Schwoba. How the tedious language grew in your jaw. How you loved the sound of the music of the rats tapping on the stone floors. When you were mine, you wore an earphone. This is Wednesday, May 9th, near Lucerne, Switzerland, 69 years ago. I learn your first climb up Mount San Salvatore. This is the rocky path, the hole in your shoes, the Yankee girl, the iron interior of her sweet body. You let the Count choose your next climb. You went together, armed with alpine stocks, 
with ham sandwiches and salsa wasser? You are not alarmed by the thick woods of briars and bushes, nor the rugged cliff, nor the first vertigo up over Lake Lucerne. The Count sweated with his coat off as you waded through top snow. He held your hand and kissed you. You rattled down on the train to catch a steamboat for home or other postmarks. Paris, Verona, Rome. This is Italy. You learn its mother tongue. I read how you walked on the Palatine among the ruins of the Palace of the Caesars, alone in the Roman autumn, alone since July. When you were mine, they wrapped you out of here with your best hat over your face. I cried because I was 17. I'm older now. I read how your student ticket admitted you into the private chapel of the Vatican and how you cheered with the other as we used to do on the 4th of July. One Wednesday in November, you watched a balloon painted like a silver ball float up over the forum, over the lost emperors to shiver its little modern cage in an occasional breeze. You worked your New England conscience out beside artisans, chestnut vendors, and the devout. Tonight I will learn to love you twice. Learn your first days, your mid-Victorian face. Tonight I will speak up and interrupt your letters warning you that wars are coming, that the Count will die, that you will set your America back to live like a prim thing on the farm in Maine. I tell you, you will come here, to the suburbs of Boston, to see the blue-nosed world go drunk each night, to see the handsome children jitterbug, to feel your left ear close one Friday at symphony, and I tell you, you will tip your boot feet out of that hall, rocking from its sour sound out onto the crowded street, letting your spectacles fall and your hairnet tangle as you stop passers-by to mumble your guilty love while your ears die. The ambition bird. So it has come to this. Insomnia at 3.15 a.m. The clock tolling its engine like a frog following a sundial, yet having an electric seizure at the quarter hour. The business of words keeps me awake. I am drinking cocoa. That warm brown mama. <laughs> I would like a simple life. Yet all night I am laying poems away in a long box. It is my immortality box. My layaway plan. My coffin. All night, dark wings flopping in my heart. Each an ambition bird. The bird wants to be dropped from a high place like the Tallahatchie Bridge. He wants to light a kitchen match and immolate himself. He wants to fly into the hand of Michelangelo and dome out painted on a ceiling. He wants to pierce the hornet's nest and come out with a long godhead. He wants to take bread and wine and bring forth a man 
happily floating in the Caribbean. He wants to be pressed out like a key so he can unlock the Magi. He wants to take leave among strangers, passing out bits of his heart like hors d'oeuvres. He wants to die changing his clothes and bolt for the sun like a diamond. He wants... I want. Dear God, wouldn't it be good enough to just drink cocoa? (laughs) I must get a new bird and a new immortality box. There is folly enough inside this one. Said the poet to the analyst. (laughs) My business is words. Words are like labels or coins or better, like swarming bees. I confess I am only broken by the sources of things. As if words were counted like dead bees in the attic unbuckled from their yellow eyes and their dry wings. I must always forget how one word is able to pick out another, to manner another, until I've got something I might have said, but did not. Your business is watching my words, but I admit nothing. I work with my best. For instance, when I can write my praise for a nickel machine that one night in Nevada, telling how the magic jackpot came clacking three bells out over the lucky screen, but if you should say this is something it is not, then I grow weak remembering how my hands felt funny and ridiculous and crowded with all the believing money. Little girl... My string bean, my lovely woman. My daughter, at 11, almost 12, is like a garden. Oh, darling, born in that sweet birthday suit and having owned it and known it for so long, now you must watch high noon enter. Noon, that ghostly hour. Oh, funny little girl. This one under a blueberry sky. This one. How can I say that I've known just what you know and just where you are? It's not a strange place, this odd home, where your face sits in my hand, so full of distance, so full of its immediate fever. This summer has seized you. As when last month in Amalfi, I saw lemons as large as your desk-side globe, that miniature map of the world. And I could mention, too, the market stalls of mushrooms and garlic buds, all engorged. Or, I think even, of the orchard next door, where the berries are done and the apples are beginning to swell. And once, with our first backyard, I remember... I planted an acre of yellow beans we couldn't eat. (laughs) Oh, little girl, my spring bean, how do you grow? You grow this way. You are too many to eat. I hear, as in a dream, the conversation of the old wives speaking of womanhood. I remember that I heard nothing myself. I was alone. I waited like a target. Let high noon enter, the hour of the ghosts. Once the Romans believed that noon was the ghost hour, and I can believe it too, under that startling sun, and someday they will come to you. Someday men bare to the waist, young Romans at noon, where they belong, with ladders and hammers while no one sleeps. But before they enter, I will have said, your bones are lovely. And before their strange hands, there was always this hand that formed 
Oh, darling, let your body in. Let it tie you in, in comfort. What I want to say, Linda, is that women are born twice. If I could have watched you grow as a magical mother might, if I could have seen through my magical transparent belly, there would have been such a ripening within your embryo, the seed taking on its own, life clapping the bedpost, bones from the pond, thumbs and two mysterious eyes, the awfully human head, the heart jumping like a puppy, the important lungs, the becoming while it becomes, as it does now, a world of its own, a delicate place. I say hello to such shakes and knockings and hijinks, such music, such sprouts, such dancing mad bears of music, such necessary sugar, such goings-on. Oh, little girl, my string bean, how do you grow? You grow this way. You are too many to eat. What I want to say, Linda, is that there is nothing in your body that lies. All that is new is telling the truth. I'm here. That somebody else, an old tree in the background, Darling, stand still at your door, sure of yourself, a white stone, a good stone, as exceptional as laughter. You will strike fire, that new thing. Three green windows, half awake in my Sunday nap. I see three green windows in three different lights. One west, one south, one east. I have forgotten that old friends are dying. I have forgotten that I grow middle-aged. At each window, such rustlings. The trees persist, yeasty and sensuous, as thick as saints. I see three wet gargoyles covered with birds. Their skins shine in the sun like leather. I'm on my bed, as light as a sponge. Soon it will be summer. She is my mother. She will tell me a story and keep me asleep against her plump and fruity skin. I see leaves, leaves that are washed and innocent, leaves that never knew a cellar, born in their own green blood, like the hands of a mermaid. I do not think of the rusty wagon on the walk. I pay no attention to the red squirrels that leap like machines beside the house. I 
do not remember the real trunks of the trees that stand beneath the windows, as bulky as artichokes. I turn like a giant, secretly watching, secretly knowing, secretly naming each elegant sea. I have misplaced the Van Allen belt, (laughs) the sewers and the drainage, the urban renewal and the suburban centers. I have forgotten the names of the literary critics. I know what I know. I am the child I was, living the life that was mine. I am young and half asleep. It is a time of water, a time of trees. Today, the circus poster is scabbing off the concrete wall, and the children have forgotten if they knew at all. Father, do you remember? Only the sound remains, the distant thump of the good elephants, the voice of the ancient lions, and how the bells trembled for the flying man. I, laughing, lifted to your high shoulder or small at the rough legs of strangers, was not afraid. You held my hand and were instant to explain the three rings of danger. Oh, see the naughty clown and the wild parade while love, love, love grew rings around me. This was the sound where it began our breath pounding up to see the flying man breast out across the boarded sky and climb the air. I remember the color of music and how forever all the trembling bells of you were mine. 45 Mercy Street. In my dream, Drilling into the marrow of my entire bone, my real dream. I'm walking up and down Beacon Hill, searching for a street sign, namely Mercy Street. Not there. I try the back bay. Not there. And yet I know the number. 45 Mercy Street. I know the stained glass window of the foyer, the three flights of the house with its parquet floors. I know the furniture and mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, the servants. I know the cupboard of Spode, the boat of ice, solid silver where the butter sits in neat squares like strange giant's teeth on the big mahogany table. I know it well. Not there. Where did you go? 45 Mercy Street, with great-grandmother kneeling in her whalebone corset and praying gently but fiercely to the wash basin at 5 a.m., at noon, dozing in her wiggy rocker, grandfather taking a nap in the pantry, grandmother pushing the bell for the downstairs maid, and Nana, rocking mother with an oversized flower on her forehead to cover the curl of when she was good and when she was, and where she was begat. And in a generation, the third she will begat, me, with a stranger's seed blooming into the flower called horrid. I walk in a yellow dress and a white pocketbook stuffed with cigarettes enough pills, my wallet, my keys, and being 28, or is it 45? I walk. I walk. I hold matches at street signs, for it is dark, as dark as the leathery dead, and I have lost my green ford, my house in the suburbs, two little kids sucked up like the pollen by the bee in me, and a husband who has wiped his eyes in order not to see my inside out, and I am walking and looking, and this is no dream, just my oily life, where the people are alibis, and the street is unfindable for an entire lifetime. 
pull the shades down. I don't care. Bolt the door, Mercy. Erase the number. Rip down the street sign. What can it matter? What can it matter to this cheapskate who wants to own the past that went out on a dead ship and left me only with paper? Not there. I open my pocketbook, as women do, and fish swim back and forth between the dollars and the lipstick. I pick them out one by one and throw them at the street signs and shoot my pocketbook into the Charles River. Next, I pull the dream off and slam into the cement wall of the clumsy calendar I live in, my life, and it's hauled up notebooks. The Black Art. A woman who writes feels too much. Those trances and portals as if cycles and children and islands weren't enough, as if mourners and gossips and vegetables were never enough. She thinks she can warn the stars. A writer is essentially a spy. Dear love, I am that girl. A man who writes knows too much such spells and fetishes, as if erections and congresses and products weren't enough, as if machines and galleons and wars were never enough. With used furniture, he makes a tree. A writer is essentially a crook. Dear love, you are that man. never loving ourselves, hating even our shoes and our hats. We love each other, precious, precious. Our hands are light blue and gentle. Our eyes are full of terrible confessions. But when we marry, the children leave in disgust. <laughs> there is too much food and no one left over to eat up all the weird abundance. Mm. 